I don't think I've ever had a patient that didn't want to be good for me as their doctor. Because yes. we innately, that's what we want to be liked. We want to be appreciated. And, you know, I don't, I don't ever think that I've thought my patient lied to me. I think that I, I always see it as that my patients want me to see them as being a good patient. Right? Yeah. And for me, I... I don't I don't have good or bad patients. Mm. To me, I but it can be very overwhelming I need to help. as a patient yeah. to be yeah. told to do a whole lot of things. Uh, so this is such a perfect intervention, really, in between patient and doctor. Yes, because today we have 47% of people are living with a chronic disease. Mm. So whether your doctor has started you on a tablet or not, you have a chronic condition if the doctor said to you let's try diet and exercise first and see if it works they diagnosed you mm. as early stage mm. and chronic diseases are insidious and they're progressive which means that you're acclimating to them without even realizing mm. and on top of that we now have 30 percent of people have three or more chronic conditions my guest today is Dr. Jenny Wellington, founder and CEO of Annuo Medical Technology Solutions. Dr. Wellington is a graduate of the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland and has 13 years experience in clinical, medico-legal and digital health. Over her years of working on the front line of healthcare delivery, Jenny noticed an increasingly overburdened healthcare system, which is negatively impacting patients. She knew there had to be a better way to ensure that 47% of Australians living with chronic disease get the treatment they need and deserve. So she created Annuo, Australia's first medical networking platform. Annuo is designed to better engage healthcare consumers in their path and healthcare journey to develop an ecosystem of healthcare professionals aligned with their healthcare values. During her 13-year medical career, Jenny has held leadership positions, including as the Registrar Representative for Psychiatry. Jenny is currently on the Outreach Committee for the Balance Society of Australia and New Zealand. Outside of her medical work, Jenny has a passion for fostering equal opportunities for women and girls eager to pursue careers in STEM. Welcome to Hacking Health. This podcast is for future-focused health experts, thought leaders and changemakers who are interested in making health accessible for everyone, because together we can get to the future faster. Jenny, if you could throw caution to the wind and take a risk, what would you do? If I could throw caution to the wind and take a risk, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm a scientist. Um, I believe in statistics and I, I, just, I just don't. It's not something that I do. But I will say starting annual was the biggest risk. Of course. The only statistics that I had available to me when I was founding Annual were the ones that everybody has access to in terms of funding. What was buried and what I didn't really see was the statistics about funding that goes to Black female founders. Right. 0.003% of any funding in the world goes to Black female founders. And I think it was in 
2022, Christmas of 2022, I looked up an article that only 97 black female founders in the world had ever raised over $1 million in funding. And that would have been after two years of bootstrapping. And by that point, I was a year and 14 months in. Oh my goodness. So for someone who doesn't take risks, It's a pretty big risk. I actually yeah, heard a podcast a about a VC who was a woman of color and that was her whole platform to fund more diverse startups because those statistics are just horrendous yeah they they absolutely are and um i'm living proof of that so i have literally bootstrapped annual i worked three jobs at one point in time to be able to look after myself my kids my responsibilities Mm. as well as fund the entire development and I have emails of 159 notes and I persevered. And today we have over 140 clinics under contract. Amazing. Five million subscribers. <gasps> five million. And is that globally? No, 3.5 million. That's Australia only. That's not even when we expand. Oh, my. That's just in Australia. Goodness. That is yeah. massive considering what our population is to my knowledge and to my marketing analysis no health tech company or health had ever um, had up to five percent and we have 3.5 million subscribers under contract in a country with 26 million people so Oh my gosh oh my goodness so my next question sort of seems uh, a bit pathetic now but do you prefer Ireland or Australia because you're Irish Irish and where and also can you share why but I think in talking to you your accent is such an international sounding accent I've seen a few little Irish quirks in your accent but talk to me about that yeah so talking to you a little bit about my Irish accent so I actually had to water it down when I came over to Australia because I remember I saw someone else like, oh my oh God, your baby's such a cute little mite. And then she was just like, did you just call my baby a dust mite? And I'm like, no, 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 I didn't call your baby a dust mite. And I was like, oh, you're one down the road. And they're like, the one down the road, what does that mean? So there's been a whole bit in how I've learned how to speak. Uh, from coming here but that's that's natural I think anybody who comes from anywhere will tell you that there's a lot of like slang and colloquialisms that you draw but I would say that Ireland will always have my heart because that's where those are my formative years Mm. that's where I spent my formative years but Australia's home Um, Australia's given me so much and um, there was no better evidence of that than when I went to London recently and I remember at one point I was like can't wait to get home. And then I realized Australia. Oh, really is home. that's nice. Yeah. It's a switch. Yeah. Yes. Are your parents yeah. in so, Ireland still? No, they're not. So my family had quite an interesting history with Ireland. So both my parents are mixed heritage. So my father has Scottish heritage as well as Nigerian heritage. My mother has Afro-Caribbean heritage as well. And um, during the civil war in Nigeria, my grandparents were very close to the SMA um, Irish nuns and priests that were in Nigeria at the time doing a lot of missionary work. 
And in an effort to quash the rebellion, the Nigerian government told them that the Irish nuns and the pastoral team had less than a week to get out of the country and they had no way to leave. So my grandfather's um, best friend was actually in the military and he was able to arrange for them to get a plane off to Sao Tome and from Sao Tome there they flew out to Ireland and the priests and nuns were really grateful and they always said to my grandparents you know keep in touch make sure you write and my grandparents are very good at writing letters so as the civil war progressed and they started to conscript a lot of the young boys as soldiers my 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 grandparents had eight children they had five sons and three daughters and they were really worried because my uncles were getting really tall it's hard to hide them in a dress and so they wrote to the priests and the nuns and they said, we'll do the same thing, put them on the plane, send them out to us. And they did that. And then they enrolled them in school. So my mom's family all went to school in Ireland and they went to, some of them went to university. My, one of my uncles is an Oxford law graduate. Um, my other uncle went to the College of Surgeons, just like I did. My other uncle went to Trinity College. And he went into software engineering. He's a really great mentor. And so when it time, came time for me to go to school, again, my grandmother wrote a letter the same to Father Byrne again. And Father Byrne was like, yep, I don't think um, Rathdown, which is where my aunts went, um, had space. But he was like, oh, I know this lovely school in Galway called Calmore Abbey. And they're Benedictine nuns, different, you know, different domination, denomination. But um, yeah, they'll take her. And then I, that's how I ended up in Ireland. So I went to sporting school in Ireland and then went to university in Ireland. So my formative years are spent in Ireland. Wow. What an international yeah. story. Not what I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> but great, great yeah. to understand, yeah, how you came to be here, which is such a cool story. So who is one of your biggest mentors or inspirations in business? In business, I would have to say um, Pauline Fatali. Um, who is now a director of the Australian Computer Society. And we met at a diversity in the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem event that Advanced Queensland ran. And she's such a warm personality that I was in the middle of speaking to someone and we just looked at each other and she just walked right up to me. And she said, what do you do? And I shyly told her what my startup was about. She goes, you should be proud of yourself. And then she pointed at River City Lab. She was like, why haven't you come to talk to me yet? And I was like, oh, I was thinking, I was like, oh, you guys are really, you know, like, like you guys are really big. And she goes, yeah, I get that a lot, but talk to me. And you should ask me for stuff. And she goes, you should ask to come to talk to me. And then she said, do you have your phone? And I said, yes. And then she said, tell me your LinkedIn. And I did. And then she put her, um, she connected with me right there and then. And she said, I'm going to call you for a meeting. And then she looked at me and she goes, don't worry. And I hadn't said anything to her. He goes, don't worry. I'm going to help you raise money. He goes, I have been where you've been. He goes, I have seen people where you are. And she said, it's going to be hard. You're going to need to have thick skin. But she goes, we're going to get there. And that was it. And from then on, she just became my phone a friend. And she has been one of the biggest advocates for me in rooms that I didn't know that existed. You know, helped me knock on doors that I couldn't even see. And so to have her with me on Friday was just like an amazing, amazing experience. And now she's one of the directors of um, the Australian Computer Society and River City Lab. So just been amazing just to have somebody that just gets it, that's somebody that just acknowledges 
and understands everything that I'm going through and, you know, just helps me and keeps me. And it's not all about support and telling me how wonderful I am. Like she's, she's very honest and direct with her feedback, but you need that. Mm. You need someone who's going to see everything from all angles, someone who's going to tell you how you need to be better. And as a founder, then your duty to your mentor is to be coachable and to actually listen what you're being told, even if it hurts, mm. even if it's somebody telling you how ugly your baby is, which is your product, yes. or what you're founding, you have to be willing to listen. You have to be open. And um, she has been amazing in terms of that, always challenging me. But more so than just business, she's always made sure that I'm okay, that I'm okay. Like on difficult days, she'll let me cry. And she'll say, no, you need to let it all out let it all out and she's just like and tomorrow we'll start again so he's been that for me so I haven't had to put on the face or the brave face with her it's just been through mentorship and learning from her listening to her I've been able to put a lot of the things that she's put into place but even lots of other people who have just given me little bits of their time the advanced teams and female founders team have just been phenomenal they have been such a driving force in terms of constantly putting me forward for things and really seeing me and seeing what value that my company can actually bring to the ecosystem taking the time to talk to me they're not just you know the government like anytime I've had difficulty I have been able to pick up the phone and sit down with them and have a conversation yes and get real advice things that I can actually put into action and they're very good at listening. They're very good at listening to what is happening. And they are truly invested in making it a much better place for women to actually be in that entrepreneurial space. So you mentioned Friday night. What happened on Friday? <laughs> oh, on Friday night. I still have problems saying this out loud. Uh, on Friday night, I was the recipient of the uh, future-focused um Business Achiever Award from the Women in Tech. And the theme this year was We Are the Change. That alone resonates with me because I strongly, I'm a doer. So I always believe that you should be the change that you want to see. Um, and so to have an organization like that recognize what, what we're trying to achieve in our tiny little company was just phenomenal and I'm still I'm still I'm still in shock show us the award pick it up if you're listening on the podcast you can't see this but it's a beautiful glass piece that says women in technology awards 2023 Dr Jenny Wellington amazing absolutely well just done phenomenal. well done you know I almost I almost wasn't going to be there because um, I actually got nominated um, by someone. And when I saw the nomination come through, I didn't take it seriously. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I thought it was a joke. And then a week to the submissions, the person actually contacted me and said, I sent you through this nomination. Like, you know, have you filled this out? You need to take this seriously. Call me. And so I called her. And she said, you need to take this seriously, you know, like you, you need to take, you need to apply for this. And I was like, 
And I really respect her um, because she was actually the first, she was actually the pioneer winner of that award. Uh, um, so to have somebody like that nominate me, filling out the whole, going through the whole process, I did it for her out of respect for her because I respect her opinion and I listened to her advice. But the other thing was giving the people for whom Annuo exists for, mm. people that live with chronic disease, actually bringing the difficulties that they're having front and center mm -hmm. um, and giving a platform like that for um, understanding really was, was part of it um, on top of all the other different soapboxes that I stand on every, every now and then. Well, that's definitely the, the purpose of the organization. Your, I guess, what I understand of Annuo is the desire is to better treat patients with chronic disease. So have you been able to witness the, the impact that the technology has made and maybe explain to us how it works and, yeah, what's it like seeing your vision come to life and be so successful? Annual is a healthcare networking platform that allows healthcare providers to better communicate with their patients, but also the healthcare providers that share a common patient. And it helps them collaborate better over treatment planning. But more than that, it actually helps the healthcare providers understand where the patients are coming from and gives them a deeper understanding of what happens when they leave the consult room. It helps them understand what the healthcare values are of the patient. It helps them be truly collaborative and including the patient's voice in the care. And for the patients, what we hope that the platform does is that it provides information that is meaningful to people in a way that they truly understand and in a way that's impactful in terms of them being able to understand why the recommendations have been made and turning that understanding then into them being better equipped to put into action a lot of those treatment tasks. And it doesn't just create a block or document treatment plan. It actually kicks it off into action. So when you initiate it, it will send off referrals that need to get sent off. Mm -hmm. It will remind you to take medications. It will remind you to do the blood tests. It will always remind you to fast the blood tests mm. as well and tell you when you need to get there to get the bloods done. It will ping to your doctor that you've got them done. So the doctor knows to look out for those blood tests. And if the doctor has suggested that you do things like road diaries or pain diaries or, um, you know, do any vitals like your heart rate and blood pressure, rather than bringing all those things down on a piece of paper mm. or in lots of different apps, all of that is directly plugged into Anio so that when you're sitting down in front of your doctor, it's not a memory task mm. of trying to recollect everything. It's right there. And the data has been analyzed so the doctor knows on what day and how the treatment was influenced by lots of different factors. And that means that rather than spending time writing on lots of different pieces of paper or looking for different documents, your doctor just focuses on you and just talks to you about what you need. And here's what you think and what you're feeling. And hopefully, over time, we hope that Annie will be that avenue that will actually really help 
the medical world understand, well, do these treatments actually work? Mm. You know, what is really working for patients, especially now that a lot of medical research that we had always relied on, such as the STAR-D trial. I don't know if you ever heard of this. So the STAR-D trial was something that the psychiatry world has heavily relied on in terms of reliability of antidepressants to treat depression. And the study was supposed to include a specific assessment test being administered to determine depression, but also the progression of the disease and also the remission of the disease. And it reported that there was about 63% remission of depression with antidepressants. But now with transparency, they've been able to find that the same assessment test was not used throughout. Right. And so there were people that were written into the test as having depression that on the scale of it naturally meets the criteria. Right. So as they took the medication, it was easy to report them as being in remission and the antidepressant effect. When in actual fact, if you looked at the standardized testing, they did not meet that criteria to begin with. So the raw data actually shows that it was less than a third of the people that antidepressants actually helped, not over 63%. And now the entire medical world is spinning on its head thinking about all the time that we've lost mm. in terms mm. of honing in on something and saying this was it mm. when we should have been looking for other treatments. Yeah, wow. And so annual potential has that potential to ensure that that transparency is there from day one. And it also has the the transparency maybe of like making sure that patients know what they're meant to be doing because with chronic disease it can be so complex, I suppose, if you've got all those things you're saying that you need to do. What if you miss one of those things and you're part of a trial and you just lie to say, well, I definitely did that. And so like how can you get accurate data as someone who's such a data person if People aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Exactly. And, you know, the thing about it is that I don't think I've ever had a patient that didn't want to be good for me as their doctor. Because we innately, that's what we want to be liked. We want to be appreciated. And, you know, I I don't ever think that I've thought my patient lied to me. I think that I I always see it as that my patients want me to see them as being a good patient. Yeah. And for me, I I don't I don't have good or bad patients. Mm. But it can be very overwhelming as a patient to be told to do a whole lot of things. Uh, So this is such a perfect intervention, really, in between patient and doctor. Yes, because today we have 47% of people are living with a chronic disease. Mm. So whether your doctor has started you on a tablet or not, you have a chronic condition. If the doctor said to you, let's try diet and exercise first and see if it works, they diagnosed you Mm. as early stage. Mm. And chronic diseases are insidious and they're progressive, which means that you're acclimating to them without even realizing. Mm. And on top of that, 
now have 30% of people have three or more chronic conditions. Crazy. So if you think about the fact that for each chronic condition, you will see at least three healthcare providers. You probably see your GP, you probably see the pharmacist, you might see a specialist, specialist. Or psychologist, or whoever, and you have three conditions, you have over nine people involved in your care. Mm. And we put the burden on the patient to be the carrier pigeon. Yeah. In terms of carrying the messages across from all these different people. So true. Right? When they're the ones that are carrying the condition, they're the ones that should be cared for. Yes. We should be caring for them. We shouldn't be giving the burden to them to carry that information and interpret and be the gatekeepers of, Mm. well, what should this person know? What shouldn't they know? Right? And we put that on them. And people that have chronic conditions, they don't want to feel like a victim. They don't want to Mm. have that sick role. Nobody feels comfortable feeling that you know, I'm now in a sick role. I'm not who I was. Mm. They want Mm. to have the same quality of life as everybody else. And so when you put them in that position, they will feel, they often report feeling like their chronic condition is a full-time job. Mm. And now I have this, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do that. They're then responsible for scheduling all the appointments. They're responsible for making sure that the information gets from Dr. A to Dr. B. They're also responsible then for making sure that their blood tests are done. Mm. They're also responsible for making sure that, you know, that they get there on time or mm. that the referrals are done or, you know, taking medication for them to carry. Yeah. And, and if you think about, you know, parents running around, working hard, trying to just do, be, parents Mm. and then you think about maybe one of them has a chronic condition or three chronic Mm. conditions trying to look after their family and do that quite demoralizing so have you talked to patients about their experience with the the software oh yes before annual became a thing i can't wait to think about it before it became a real thing one of the very first things that I did was when I conceptualized it, I built a very small version of it and a GP that I know let me use it in their practice. And I just talked to the people that were using it for about nine months. And um, that information was then turned into what annual is now. And I took it back to doctors and I said, well, this is what patients have said. Would you you know, have a product like Annie. And they were like, oh my goodness, yes, I want something like that. And then I realized that I would have to make a separate product for each different medical specialty, which didn't make sense. No. Because like I said, 30% of people yeah, have three or more chronic want conditions. want them to collaborate. So, yes, these applications would have to talk to each other. And so it just made sense then to make annual agnostic. So at every single point in terms of the development, we have had patients, we've had doctors, we had every single stakeholder in medicine talking to us and telling us what they think, you know? So medicine has to be people-centered. Mm. It's not just the providers and the patients. It's also the payers. So Medicare funding, what does Medicare need from us? What are their hopes and yes. dreams for the system? And the policymakers. So the policymakers meaning, you know, clinical guidelines that have been written, the hospital administration, you know, the healthcare facilities, what do they need to make sure that patients get what they need? And so, yes, we've listened to what the patients need, 
But in order to make it work for the patients, we have to get everybody in the ecosystem to be working together. And that's hard. Yes, and it's hard. So every, oh my gosh. You have to meet everybody's needs. Yes. You have to understand what they need for that to work. Yes. And you have to bring that and implement that. And that really is the magic of annual is that we've not just had patients giving us feedback because that's what everybody thought at first. That's why we have over 350,000 health apps in the country at the moment. And chronic disease has still risen by 12% in the last mm. seven years, right? They are making an impact, but it's not enough to stop the bleeding. The magic sauce, I think, is making sure that everybody was involved yeah, in the, the collaboration of this. Yeah, yeah, which is incredible because the time that it takes and, you know, you're talking about government departments and busy doctors, patients who have other things in their lives. So you've done an amazing job and you're still young and you owe uh, the business is. Um, are there any challenges that you are facing still being in the startup phase? Oh, yeah, just that, that, oh, you're young, you're, you're a startup, you know, like. Not taking you like seriously. Not, no, no, not, not, not really being taken seriously. Um, I think that has been a challenge. Mm. Um, it's been quite a significant challenge in that you, you have no power when you walk in the room. But I feel like the numbers um, that you were talking about earlier in the episode really speak for themselves in terms of people should be taking you seriously. Well, you know, now that we've done the work, and I had never said out loud until today in a LinkedIn post when I said, listen, this is how many people we've got now. Now are you going to take us seriously? Yeah. Are you going to listen to us? Are you going to, you know, are, are you going to now? I think, I, I hope now people will take us seriously. I, I certainly know that um, I went to Canberra and I had the privilege of being a panel speaker, but also facilitating roundtable discussions for federal government health as well as state health in ACT. And what came off of that was I got an invitation to be part of the FIRE FARC Accelerator, which is the federal government's working group um, for, the for the implementation of the national strategies for the implementation of digital health. Incredible. And so, you know, on a level, I mean, there's no, there's no badge or title that comes with that. But the fact that Annie is now in the room Yes. Um, and we are now part of that discussion. Yeah. I hope that I'm able to now bring that to a much larger platform and be able to make that top-down impact that we had not been able to make when we were tiny little annual that's just over two years old. Oh, my goodness. I'm so, I've been so excited to talk to you today. We're actually, I know you've because you're a startup founder, you've got back-to-back -back appointments and they're already bugging you for your next one. So thank you so much for talking to me today and I wish you so much luck. I'm going to follow your journey with so much excitement. Thank you so much for having us. Like it's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And every time I say it, I pinch myself. I still pinch myself that this is, this is where we are and this is what we're doing. So thank you very much for listening to our journey and, and, and yeah, getting our message out there. We're going to keep the conversation going in our private Facebook group, You Legal for Doctors. You're welcome to join us there.